Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. Hey, everybody. What's up? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. I'm Thomas Frank, and I'm here once again to try and help you grow your brain a little bit. So today on the podcast, I'll be interviewing someone who I've been following and getting great advice from since I was a freshman. So that's been about five years now. Uh, Jenny Blake is one of the best examples of someone I know who is great at adapting to new situations. She worked for a startup during college, and then she went to work for Google after graduating and stayed there for about five years. She also started lifeaftercollege.org, which became a successful blog and eventually led to a published book. And there's a great story about that in this episode. And in both the book and blog, she tries to help people like us navigate the changes that come with adult life after graduation. And her site helped me a lot through my college career and learning to be an adult. So it's definitely a good resource to check out. Uh, now Jenny's a successful business coach and speaker, and she runs her business mainly at her personal site, which you can find at JennyBlake.me. So this is going to be an awesome interview, and I know you're going to learn a lot from it. But first... Guys, if you have questions about college, the college experience, uh, mastering your money and your finances and getting rid of your debt, or maybe finding an internship and making connections, I want to hear your questions. My roommate Martin and I are going to do some reader question and answer episodes pretty soon. So email those questions to me at thomas at collegeinfogeek.com, or you can tweet them. I'm at Tom Frankly on Twitter. However you want to send those questions in, we want to get them and answer them on the show. Also, today I'm going to be starting a couple new quick segments that I'll be doing at the beginning of each episode, and I think they'll add a little bit more uh, value to each of the episodes that do. So first one is resources of the week, where uh, each week I'm going to let you know about one tool I found useful, as well as one learning resource that I found enlightening, because one of my biggest and most valuable parts of my life is uh, learning, you know, keep continuously learning even outside of class. So uh, these aren't sponsorships or anything. These are just things I've used and discovered, and I think that would uh, be useful and should be shared. So this week's feature tool is called Rare Candy. It's an iPhone app that lets you track goals and level up each one. Um, So for big goals like becoming a Japanese speaker, the app lets you set the goal. So like apprentice Japanese speaker is where I am right now. And then the app lets you actually track the time down to the second that you spend practicing. So it's not really like a just a checkbox, like practice Japanese. It's actually a quantified time you spent practicing. And it's kind of based on the 10,000 hours rule. And once you do that, then it gives you experience points for that practice and you gain levels. So you get to be a Pokemon. It's pretty cool. And alongside the big goals, you can also set up dailies, which are tasks you do every day. Health-based ones fill up your health bar and learning-based goals fill your mana. And as far as I can tell, the health and mana don't really do much except for keep you motivated to keep the bars full, but it's a cool concept anyway, and I like it. Uh, It's a lot like Lyft, 
which I love and use all the time. And Lyft helped me build a lot of really, really strong habits that I have currently and that I didn't have a few months ago. So if you're you know, not as much into Lyft and you want something that's a little more nerdy, a little bit more video game based, and you have an iPhone, Rare Candy is cool. Um, if you don't have an iPhone, I will also mention Habit RPG is something that's on in the browser online, and it's also a pretty cool concept. So check that out if you don't have an iPhone. Uh, This week's featured learning resource is the new Cosmos TV show, which is hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. So I I recently took a break from watching The Daily Show every morning, and now I've been watching Cosmos with my breakfast, and it's actually really enlightening. My friend Matt from uh, Listen Money Matters, the podcast that I was on a few weeks ago, told me about it, and he was saying, you know, I don't need to read short history of nearly everything because I've watched Cosmos, and I was like, how could you possibly get everything from a book? Um in a TV show. Well, I've been watching Cosmos. I think I'm like nine episodes through it. And while not everything from that book is in Cosmos, uh, Cosmos is awesome. And I've learned a lot of things that I didn't know before. I thought it was going to be a lot of like rehashing high school stuff, but it's a lot of really cool history of science kind of stuff. And you'll learn some stuff that you don't know now. I guarantee it. So it's on Hulu. If you have some time, go watch it for free and uh, grow your brain a little bit. So the other new segment is the listener tip of the week. During each episode, I want to feature a tip from a listener about doing better in school, landing jobs and internships, or mastering your money. Those three areas are the three main focuses of College Info Geek, and I want to hear from you. So if you have a tip and you want it featured on this podcast, email it to me. I'm, at, I'm thomas at collegeinfogeek.com, or you can tweet it to me. Again, I'm Tom Frankly on Twitter. However you want to get those tips to me, uh, if you want to get it featured, then send them in. Since I just made this segment up a few minutes before recording this intro and it's the first episode I'm doing it, I'm taking this week's tip from the comments on my guide to finding cheaper textbooks. And uh, it's from Brendan Story, and he says the best solution for finding cheaper textbooks that he's found is to swap them with friends or exchange them for beer. And you can also check uh, for a secondhand bookstore in your town. Now, my town used to have a secondhand bookstore. It doesn't anymore, which is kind of sad. But if you do happen to have a secondhand bookstore in your town, then you might be able to find an old edition of a textbook that could be just as useful for uh, a much lower price. So when you're looking for textbooks for next semester, remember that tip. All right, so show notes for this episode are at sigpodcast.com, that's C-I-G podcast.com, and there you'll find the main podcast page on College Info Geek. You can scroll down, find the link to episode 24 with Jenny Blake, and there I will link to this week's tool and learning resource along with anything I mentioned in the interview, and you'll also find a summary and quotes there, so check them out. All right. So that's all I have to do for segments and intros. Let's get into this interview with Jenny Blake. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Jenny. Good to have you here. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to finally be talking to you. I've been following your stuff for years, and uh, Life After College was one of the biggest inspirations for keeping my own business going, and it's kind of led to some pretty cool things. So I have you to thank for a lot of inspiration and information over the years. Oh, well, thank you. That really means a lot to me. And it's so exciting to see just how much is possible now from our laptop. And I love that you're taking your own spin on things and launching a podcast. It's awesome. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. So one of the things I've noticed about you is you're a huge planner. Like one of the biggest things on your site is like this giant uh, spreadsheet you use to publish your book. 
And I know you did some for your uh, classes back in college, too. So were you always a like super granular planner like this, even when you were in college? Or has it been something that you kind of had to get used to after college? No, it's always been innate for me. I organizing things is it's just how I think it's how I make things happen. In college, I had this four year spreadsheet that mapped out my two majors and every class every quarter. Some people that would really stress them out or feel very constricting. And to me, there was a great sense of relief that I knew exactly what to sign up for and when I had a plan. And and so I think it's not for everyone to be so structured, but it happened to really work well for me. And I find now running my own business, it's been about three years of doing my own business full time. The more that I can systematize and organize the less decision fatigue I have in any given day about what to work on or how or when. That's actually a really good idea. I heard that um, like President Obama doesn't really choose what he wears or what he eats every morning for that specific reason. Like when he wakes up, it's all kind of set up. So none of the decision fatigue of those kind of choices gets into his uh, into his life. Right. It makes sense. The Harvard Business Review did a study on this, that decision fatigue is real. It affects, they say that lower income people are more affected by purchases near the checkout stand because of decision fatigue, that this study showed that they, their mind is is almost overworked as they go through the supermarket, comparing prices and finding the best option that by the time they get to the checkout stand, they're more susceptible to these last minute purchases. You mean like the gum and everything like that? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I think we can all probably relate that when, when we have too many variables that are unknown in a given day, stuff will fall through the cracks. Or if you don't, if you just say, I'd like to go to the gym tomorrow, but you don't have a routine and a set plan around it, it's much less likely to happen. Definitely. I've learned that for a ton of different things. And the gym is one of them. Once you kind of get into a routine, it just like, all right, well, I'm in the gym. You know, right. that's what it's I do. It's non-negotiable. I don't even have to think about it. Exactly. Yeah. So before you were uh, before you got into these kind of habits, did you have anything that you used to sort of force yourself to do things you didn't want to do? I would say for me, Sometimes, you know, for me, I see a lot of these things as a systems problem. So if there's something that's stressing me out or that I don't want to do, I either ask in this. I don't think I made this up, but do drop or delegate. Do I need to just do it anyway? Do I drop it? Maybe it doesn't need to get done at all. Or do I delegate? Is there someone who can help who's on my team or a tool that might make this process easier? And that's where I've created a lot of my own templates as well to try and ease difficult or challenging times. Like my 15 tab book marketing spreadsheet was a product of my own overwhelm at how to market a book. And so I created that spreadsheet that's now been downloaded 7,000 times. Thanks to a Seth Godin mention. But initially it was just for your own use, right? Yeah, exactly. I was embarrassed to show (laughs) Seth and the Domino project team. I thought they are going to think I'm crazy, but you know, it ended up being really helpful. Awesome. Yeah, I liked. So there's one point that I liked when you said do drop or delegate um, and delegate was split into things you can give to other people or things you can assign to a tool. Right. I think a lot of people, when they think delegate, they think, oh, I need to be able to hire somebody and I probably can't do that. But uh, you can you can find a tool that can automate a lot of things for you. And I, it does kind of fall into that delegate umbrella. 
Exactly. Nowadays, we're so fortunate. We have a zillion tools and apps that can help with everything from monitoring your sleep to meditation is an app that I'm creating with some partners. And, you know, a recent example is email. I used to get really overwhelmed by my email. Who doesn't? We all have so many (laughs) messages coming at us every day. And I'm using this service called Unroll Me. And every day. Yeah, it's so awesome. And so it it rolls up 60 messages into one digest that I certainly didn't need to be looking at as each one came in 60 times throughout a day. It's just like, I can't believe I ever lived without it. (laughs) Yeah, I've been using Unroll Me for maybe a year. And I still make sure to look at the thing every single day just in case. But nine times out of ten, it's like, nope, nothing in there is useful. (laughs) Delete. (laughs) Totally. totally. So it's it's been really useful. Right. And in the past, that might have been an executive hiring an assistant to go through his or her email every day. And now we just have a tool. Unroll me. It's so great. Yeah, exactly. Another another class of tools that I really like are things that sort of make you do what you don't want to do. So like for email, uh, there's a. There's a, so there's a goal tracking software called Beeminder, and it's kind of like it puts like a sting in goal tracking because you have to pledge a certain amount of money. And then if you don't right. stay on the, this yellow brick road of uh, goal tracking, then you'll have to pay that money. So they have they have one where it tracks how many red messages are in your inbox. And if it's like above what you set, then you'll like fail your goal and have to pay. So I just set it up so I can only have two red messages in my inbox and everything else needs to be processed and archived. Otherwise, I'm going to have to pay up. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So let's let's dig into a little bit of your story that got you to where you are today. Now you're doing, you know, JennyBlake.me, which is your your personal brand where you do coaching and everything. But before that, you had uh, Life After College and Google. So which of those kind of came first, uh, getting a job at Google or starting your website? Starting my website actually came first as a result Hmm. of I took a leave of absence during my junior year at UCLA to be the first employee at a startup company that one of my college professors was was helping to found with a Stanford professor. And they were moving political polling from phone banks to online, an online database and matching methodology. And so that was my first real taste of business and startup life. It was in Palo Alto, the heart of Silicon Valley. And my friends thought I was crazy for leaving school. My start of my junior year, they were still partying and taking finals. And they're like, you know, you have 60 years to work. Why would you start now? But I knew it was such a unique opportunity. And it was in my hometown. My mom happened to live in Palo Alto. So that's when life after college was really concepted because I felt, I felt very isolated and alone. None of my peers were going through this life after college transition. And I didn't know the first thing about having a budget, how to sign up for healthcare, how to invest my money. I didn't even know what hours was normal to show up and leave the office because I didn't have any coworkers. It was just me and the founder for a little while. Really? Yeah. Like you and your professor or the person that the the Stanford professor, his name is Doug Rivers. So my professor, Lynn, still lived in Los Angeles and she would come up every now and then. But we were renting this little house in Palo Alto, the bottom floor. And I, I did everything. I was the office manager, the webmaster, the marketing assistant. I did everything from ordering toilet paper refills and finding office chairs to creating the website and Google AdWords campaigns. That's a really varied uh, list of tasks. 
Yeah, I think they used to joke that I was hiding five Jennies uh, <laughs> and that like I could invent time out of thin air. And I think that goes back to the structure and organization and systems. Yeah, that kind of job is fun, though. I love jobs where I you just have a it. ton of different things to do. It's so fun. I actually just am going through my own pivot. I Instead of doing one-on-one coaching or just one-on-one business coaching, I've recently taken a role as director of operations for a startup doing urban farming in Red Hook, Brooklyn. And normally I would just consult from afar, but they've kind of brought me on to be in the business. And it's so fun. It's once again, there's two founders and me and I get to be that first employee role that I did 10 years ago. And I love it. It's so much fun to, you never really know what to expect on any given day. And the learning curve is so high. It could be making a website to writing a grant to helping the guys learn how to, you know, kind of like systematize the farming process. Who knows? Yeah. And jobs like that can seem really daunting, but they're a lot of fun. So for the first one, did you like feel kind of over your head when you got into it? Yes, in the sense that everything was new and I didn't really have business experience. So, but at the same time, I think what, what wasn't as overwhelming is that we were all doing something new. So when they said, Jenny set up the Google AdWords campaigns, it's not like anyone had really used Google AdWords before. That was new to a lot of people. This is back in 2004. Mm. And so we were all learning together at the same time. And in a way I did have skills that I had honed. I had always been into newspapers and page layout and Photoshop. I was the editor in chief of my high school paper. So when it came time to design Google AdWords banner ads, I actually had skills that were helpful to that end. And I ended up teaching myself web design, learning. I would read CSS books on the elliptical machine at the gym. (laughs) Um, So I really met them halfway in terms of growing my skills. And that's advice I give to college grads all the time, which is do not expect your degree to give you marketable job skills. It'd be nice if it did. I think colleges <laughs> yeah. are getting a lot of flack right now because grads are having a hard time finding jobs. Mm-hmm. But it's really incumbent upon each of us to be learning and growing and developing skills that someone will pay you for. Exactly. Yeah, I always tell students, you know, have like a side thing where you're learning something on the side or like a, a Coursera thing you're going through or something. Because right. personally... You know, if I look back at all the things I learned in college, everything I use now was learned in part time jobs or like at an internship or just trying to figure things out for myself, like building my business. Most of what I learned in class, I'm not really using. So, I mean, it's it's just good to have that like side experience and, you know, extracurricular right. stuff. Absolutely. So you're doing this, uh, the startup thing, which is awesome. And. So you're, do you start your website while you're at the startup or, or is that, did that come afterwards? It came kind of simultaneous. I ended up going back to UCLA to graduate with my class in the spring of 2005. And I first set up life after college at the end of that year. And so I was back working at the startup, but I hadn't yet. I moved to Google in 2006 and I basically I created life after college at the very end of 2005 Partly as I thought I should, I was thinking of applying to business school and I thought I should start something that would look really good for my application. And (laughs) it's kind of funny that I thought that because life after college ended up growing into such a thing that circumvented business school altogether. I no longer needed business school because it 
grew into a business and a book and these life dreams that I had. So it's kind of cool looking back that I started it as what I thought was a means to an end. Um, but other than my own selfish interest of business school, I really did want to save other people the time. I read probably 200 books on fitness, finance, business. And I just felt like, why should every grad have to go through the same roller coaster that I did? If I could at least shortcut part of that process for people, again, it goes back to efficiency. And that's the same thing with the author spreadsheet. I really do care about why do all of us need to feel like we're on an island? We're going through the same type of transition. So that's really the, you know, what motivated me to start working on my book in 2008. And when I started coach training, life coach training in 2008, that's when I really revived life after college because originally it was just a static website. But once I started going through coach training, I really breathed new life into it. I created a blog And so the blog aspect of my site is more like six and a half years old. Okay. So were you planning on going to business school right after your undergrad was done? Or did you like go to work for a while and then plan to do it after that? I was debating it. I remember not right away. I never thought I wanted to go right away, but I worked at the startup two years. Then I moved over to Google on the training team, teaching people how to support the AdWords product. So it was kind of a pivot from what I was doing at the startup. And it was kind of a year or two into my time at Google. And I thought, should I get an MBA? Is that going to help me move up the ladder and, and position me really well in my career? But ultimately, what's funny is I ordered all these GMAT prep books from Amazon. To this day, I haven't even opened them. They sat in my house unopened. I bought this, like, how to get into the top business schools book. I've never even cracked the cover because I just... <laughs> That was the sign to me that, no, this is not the right path for me. Yeah. So I didn't end up going. So what would you say to people who like want to go get an MBA? Because I've read a lot of different conflicting opinions about it. And personally, you know, I think experience is probably going to be more useful. But uh, what would you say as somebody who was this close to getting into it? It really depends what you want to get out of it and both industry and kind of career goals. So if you're going to spend $100,000 or more, maybe $150,000, what, what would need to be true at the end of your experience to make it a slam dunk totally worth it? And for some people, it's the network, in which case, by all mm-hmm. means, go. For some, they love learning and they really want to learn all this. And in that case, I think, yes, maybe go or maybe start your own business with a hundred thousand as seed money and a runway for two years or one year, you know? Yeah. And so for me, when my driving goal, my life ambition was to be an author and a speaker. And I realized that, do I need to go to business school for that? Definitely not, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but if I wanted to be a consultant or if I did want to move up the chain at Google then yes, it would have been very helpful. But I had this aha moment that, oh, I'm not that interested in middle management. And I moved up very quickly when I first got to Google and very soon realized, I don't think I want this. I don't want all this responsibility. I don't want to be writing performance reviews. I want to be creating and speaking. And that is really when I just poured all my effort into the side hustle, which I would do on nights and weekends, instead of applying to business school. Right. And you really did it the right way. Um, when I was, I think maybe a sophomore or junior, 
I was thinking about going to business school as well afterwards. But it was kind of like this. I'm a Final Fantasy character. I need to fill out every skill tree. Don't really know what I want to do with it. I just it's like another qualification I should get because you just need to fill your resume with everything possible. Right. And who cares what comes after it? Just, you know, make yourself, you know, level up as high as you can. And as time went on, I realized, like, do I want to spend two years reading case studies of old business things just, (laughs) you know, and spend that much money? And yeah, so I definitely agree with you. Like, I think it's going to be better off. Like, you'll definitely learn more if you go and try to get an experience uh, or make your own your own company or join up with a startup. You're going to learn a ton more by doing it and being in the thick of it. Right. And I've seen people who have gone back to school and they're really happy with that decision. For example, I have a friend who's doing Parsons Creative. It's basically it's like um, design business school for creatives. And it's all about design thinking and innovation and technology. And that's really cool. He's learning a lot. He's loving it. I'm reading all the various assignments that he gets and sort of learning vicariously. Okay. And I think so it can be useful if you hit a ceiling in your career and you want to pivot, but you can see that you like for people who are kind of having trouble making the career transition, if they want to shift industries or shift more dramatically, then I think sometimes business school or a design kind of grad school can be a good bridge that will help get you from A to B. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. I think, I think it's always worth exploring. I think it's so good what you said. Many times we're just on this train track of expectations of shoulds. And I often joke, I call it the great resume in the sky. Sometimes I think as we're growing (laughs) up, we're so worried about what our resume says. I just had to submit my resume for this grant that I'm working on or was working on with the spring ups company. And the funny thing was I hadn't revised my resume since 2005 when I was applying to Google. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So I laughed. I was like, look at what an almost outdated concept it is. Not for everyone, but increasingly so for our generation where Oh my gosh, I've gone like, you know, seven or eight years of my life without needing this thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't really represent you truly. It's kind of just a, you know, a very samey document that looks like everyone else's from a, you know, at a glance, which is usually what it only gets. And, you know, you have to kind of embellish things and, and keep it updated. And if you get into something like you were into, then you don't really need that anymore. So it just kind of goes by the wayside. Mine's the same. I, I update mine every once in a while just so I can show it to people since I'm running a college website. But other than that, I haven't needed it in like two or three years. Yeah, exactly. Well, (laughs) one thing that really motivates me is I don't want to have to update my resume. Like I, it motivates me in a way (laughs) of, I don't want to do a job or I don't want to work for a company that is hiring me based on my resume. So for example, this urban farming company, they didn't want my resume. They, they saw what I was doing in my business. And I had interacted with the two co-founders as friends and it added value. So it led to an opportunity. So for me, I kind of decided a long time ago that I would much rather have jobs and work on projects where a resume isn't the driving decision making factor. Yeah, I heard uh, somebody on a podcast to listen to and I can't remember who exactly it was. But he was like, uh, if you have to submit a resume for a job, it's probably not a job that you want to do. And that might be like a little bit of a blanket statement, but I think there's like a hint of truth to it. 
if you have that kind of values, you know, that kind of value system for yourself, you want to like be able to be represented by your work and what you're doing currently, then yeah, like I would much rather be part of a team who's able to just look at what I'm doing right now and say, that's cool. You're definitely the kind of person we're looking for rather than going over a document like that. Yeah. And I think, as you said, it's, it's different for everyone. It's not to disparage anything where a resume is required. But I think even hiring managers know that the resume is just that first point of entry. It's just the start of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I don't think those of us on this call, we just, there's no point in living just for your resume. Don't make big life decisions because it, you should, because it would look good on your resume. Do it because there's actual energy and excitement and opportunity for you personally. Definitely. Yeah. My last guest, uh, my friend, Matt, he was telling me that when he was in college, it was all about the resume. It was all about the fraternity president positions and, and volunteer stuff and everything. And he didn't even think about what he wanted to do. It was just make it as cool as possible on the resume. And then right. he found himself six months out of graduation without a job living in with his mom. And he's like, what went wrong, you know? Right. Uh, and eventually, like, he got a pretty awesome job through some networking connections. But the resume isn't always the best thing to be focusing on. Yeah. So uh, this being a college podcast, a lot of college students are interested in Google. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time just kind of picking your brain on what it's like to work at Google and how you actually got that position. Sure. It's I loved working there. I was there for five and a half years and it really felt like an extension of my college experience. I spent almost twice as long at Google as I did in college. And I love the, the people there are so smart and friendly and motivated. And it's a very intense environment, but also really supportive and really fun. When I was there, the company grew from 6,000 people to 35,000. And I think now it's, I don't even know, 60, 70, 80,000. So (laughs) it's different. It's a different company today than it was when I was there. That's true as well. Mm -hmm. As far as how to get into a company like Google, part of what made me interesting to them. They had never hired externally before for the training team that I applied to. And I didn't know that going in, but really, okay. First of all, I'd been managing Google AdWords accounts as a customer and I was applying for an AdWords training team role. So I had some prior experience and one of the the, the zingers, I had to give a 30 minute presentation. I had to teach about Google earth and pretend that the seven or 10 interviewee interviewers in the room were real estate brokers. Okay. Anyway, as I was demonstrating Google earth, they wanted to see my training skills and my presence in front of a room. And I was really nervous and I did okay. But one little part of that demo, I just put a line of HTML code to demonstrate how you can add an image to a listing in Google earth. I didn't think anything of it. I it was a very spontaneous thing. Well, later I found out, oh, they want to launch a global training team website. And they liked that I had this skill set. And all of a sudden, I could provide value in that way that wasn't in the job description. And so that's where I think cultivating those marketable skills, you never know how they'll come into play. And I, I don't say that's the reason I got the job, but it was certainly helpful. It's kind of something to help you get a boost above the other applicants. Yeah, exactly. And I knew... I had worked really well with our customer support representative when I was at the startup. So she and I had a great relationship as well. So it's kind of like also 
really nurturing relationships and being a pleasant, effective person to work with. Because if I hadn't been, then Dana, the woman who referred me to Google, might not have put in as good of a word or had as strong of a referral. Mm -hmm. So it was it was really a lot of your experience from the startup as well, though, since you said you had been working with uh, AdWords that kind of got your foot in the door because you had already worked with the product they needed uh, training for. So uh, you do coaching now. And would you say that the the Google experience working on the training team was kind of like the springboard that got you into that? Well, while I was at Google, I did coach training and then I transitioned for the last year and a half to the career development team where I did coaching and I built a global coach training program for managers and directors. So yes, the work I did at Google absolutely helped set the foundation though. I, the coach training that I did came from outside of Google. So in a way I brought that value into the company and now I do career and business strategy. So it's evolved. My coaching has definitely evolved, but career, you know, I did a lot of career development work when I was at the company and then now it's shifted to this business strategy direction. So yeah, you know, it's all related. And I think that's Steve Jobs said it in his 2005 commencement speech. You don't have to connect the dots looking forward. That's often very hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to connect them looking backward. And so as I'm sitting here telling this, it can seem like I had this whole great plan and a strategy, (laughs) but for those of you who are listening, it's really about, keep pursuing the one next thing that's the really calling to you. And you never know how the dots are going to connect and come together. And so the fact that coaching now is one of the main sources of my income is kind of a testament to that. But also speaking, I joined the AdWords training team specifically because I knew I wanted to be a professional speaker someday. So I wanted to get the practice of being in front of a room, work out my nerves, learn all the technical aspects. And that has been incredibly helpful for my work doing paid professional speaking. That's awesome. So the, the, the coach training, did you choose to do that because you wanted to be a coach or did, was there like somebody in the company that recommended you do that? to help out your job. I, I kind of had to fight for it. I was a little bit bored in my role of do it, just doing AdWords product training. I wasn't all that passionate about teaching people how to set a daily budget or place analytics tracking code. I was good at it, but I, I really wanted to connect on a deeper level. And when I had a few coaching sessions and saw how much they impacted my life, I loved talking about values and what was most important to me and my goals and aspirations. And so I really kind of fought to do coach training and get it uh, at least partially reimbursed through Google's education program because I knew that I could add more value as a manager at Google and I knew it would be relevant, but I had to really demonstrate that. But it was more of my own personal passion that led me to it. That's really cool. And that makes me really curious. So you know, I, I know a lot of students, they, they find jobs where they might not be doing exactly what they want to do, but it's kind of the opportunity that came up when they graduated. And there might be like a position in the company they'd like to move to, but they're not at it yet. So like, how would you go about getting into a different position in the company, kind of pivoting and, and convincing people to let you do a different thing at your job? Yeah, you have to show, show, not tell. So instead of just asking for that new role, see if you can get involved with a side project within the company. So think of it like a side hustle internally. I think, tell people, think of your career like a smartphone, not a ladder. Download apps for all the skills and interests and education that you want to feel fulfilled. 
For example, when I was on the AdWords training team, I joined a 10 or 20% project of I wanted to make coaching as easily available and as accessible as it was to book a massage at Google, which is very easy. We had a whole system for it. And I thought if people can book a massage, why can't they book a coaching session to talk about what really matters to them? And so I started, I was part of a very tiny team and I asked my manager if I could work on this 10% so that when a job opened up full time on the career development team, I had already demonstrated interest for a year and a half prior. And so I think, I think people sometimes Gen Y gets a bad rap for being entitled when they just say like, give me, give me, you know, and they haven't shown Mm -hmm. why they're a good fit. So that's where I think it's important for each individual to say, go above and beyond and ask how you can chip in, ask how you can start to learn. They say dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And I think the same is true as far as transitioning roles within the company. You've got to do the job you want before it actually becomes yours. And at Google, sometimes people would, they would get promoted after they had already been doing the job at that level for one, sometimes two years. So it was never that you got promoted and then you get the new set of responsibilities. It was you had already demonstrated aptitude and effectiveness of that level of operating. And then the promotion would happen. It's awesome. And I think that would be something to think about for people just doing internships as well. You know, even if you're not at that job for like a full time, uh, it's good to ask for extra work and maybe try to branch out into different areas if you can while you're there. Because that's going to show people you have like the potential to move up and it might even lead to a full-time gig afterwards. Absolutely. And shows that you're proactive, you're engaged, have lunch with people in different departments. Yeah, just and, and I love what you said, Thomas, about sometimes people take a job where that it's not a perfect fit or it's not exactly what they want. Good. Take it anyway. It's mm-hmm. like I want people <laughs> to realize you don't have to have the perfect job out of college you probably, most cases you won't. So you've just got to learn what you can learn, download the apps that you can get from that specific job. And then great. You have a new set of skills that you get to take with you into the next role or the next company, but there's just nothing at all wrong with starting out and starting somewhere. Yeah. I love that, that, uh, the smartphone metaphor for it. Like you, you, you're kind of getting a smartphone, but it doesn't have everything you want on it. And it's not right. completely set up the way that you would want. So you have to start downloading those apps and figuring out everything. Uh, I don't know if you know who Barrett Brooks is. He, he works with mm-hmm. Fizzle now. Yeah. But I talked to him back when the podcast was starting and he was he was telling me because he had gotten into a big consultant company uh, and he was telling me, you know, they they sell you on the job benefits and everything. And you may have a specific major, but at the end of the day, the company is going to use you for what they need. So right. it might not end up being exactly what you wanted. It may be something a little different. It may be something completely different. Um, but as long as you show that you're going to work hard and show that you're going to keep going above and beyond, eventually they're going to see your value. They're going to see that you're the kind of person who will do the work to get what they want and be a team player. And you can eventually transition into what it is that you want to do. It's all right. about like building up that career capital. Absolutely. And to me, that's the good news is that you might get hired and then end up doing something totally different. How boring would it be if your job description was just a static list of activities? Yeah. (laughs) So I think, you know, one of the traits of someone who 
would be successful at Google is adaptability. That mm. was very critical. Someone was not going to fit in the Google culture if they were not adaptable to change. And they were not almost excited by change because stuff was changing all the time. You would constantly be put on different projects or have a different manager or the team reorgs. And that was just the name of the game. And the same is going to be true if you go into business for yourself. You have to be adaptable to change. So I think that in itself is a skill set that you get by working in a company that is really dynamic in that way. Yeah, definitely. And it, a lot of people think of that as a small company thing or, you know, an entrepreneur thing. But it is even in like a financial corporation that I worked in, I had to pivot and adapt a lot. And they, I was like in the networking department. One day they threw a financial accounting assignment at me mm-hmm. and it was like, OK, I'll figure it out. Right. And they liked me that much better for it. So speaking of adapting, you uh, adapted to running your website full time from Google. So how did that happen and, and what kind of changes did you have to make to make it happen? My book coming out in 2011 was really the catalyst. I took a mm. three month unpaid leave of absence from Google to do a self-funded book tour. And it was really during that time that I realized it's not fair to Google for me to go back and try and do both. And it's not fair to my book and the success of my potential business. And I was very, very nervous to go out on my own. People thought I was crazy to leave Google. It's Disneyland, it's Mecca, it's like breaking up with Brad Pitt. You know, who was I to think I could do better? But I also knew that I was relatively young, I was 27. I kind of felt like now or never. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm scared, but I have a savings runway of say six months and I felt like I will forever regret not trying to do this on my own full time. And if it doesn't work out, I can go get another job. And that prospect was very scary to me. But ultimately, I realized that both things were going to get the short shrift if I tried to moonlight any longer because I was really getting burnt out and really tired. And especially when I was on my three month sabbatical, life after college was a full time job. I was working really hard and I just, it really expanded to fill the time in a very good way. I felt very energized by it. And so in July, July 5th of 2011, I decided not to go back. That was my last official day as an employee of Google. And it's just about been exactly three years now. So what made it possible was a lot of trial and error. I coaching has been the foundation of my income. Speaking has really picked up. I also launched some courses, the Acorn Project, Make Shit Happen, back in the day. Um, And now I'm working on my second book, which is around this topic of pivoting. So it's really an evolution, and I don't necessarily know how things are going to turn out, but I try and keep take things kind of one day or at least one quarter at a time. Yeah. So you you talk about pivoting a lot. So what's kind of your uh, philosophy on that, and what does it mean for you? My whole thesis or theory is that the midlife crisis and quarter-life crisis are relics of the past. Given the pace of change and innovation, we can expect now to pivot every few years. And so basically, pivot is the new normal. And let's stop seeing it as a crisis or that there's anything wrong with that or that we're entitled because we get restless and we want to create more meaning in the world. There's just nothing wrong with that. So to me, pivoting is about How do you be agile in your own life and your own career? And how do you navigate change? Change can be really scary and really overwhelming. 
And I really believe from my own personal experience and friends and clients that these big tectonic shifts in our career are only going to happen with greater frequency or running your own business. I mean, for sure. <laughs> That's like every day. <laughs> so the book and then my work now in this area is really figuring out a, a methodology for managing that change. So what you're saying is I can't freak out and go buy a motorcycle anymore. <laughs> you can freak out, but just be prepared that that's going to happen every few years. So if you think it's one and done, oh, yeah, I freaked out when I was 25. Now I'm set for the next 25 years. Forget about it. Yeah. Because for me, I have freaked out at 20, at 24, at 27. I had another one at 29. I mean, and these were times that were really low and dark and scary for me. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why am I having a quarter life crisis four times over? But it's kind of, I think, the nature of our economy in a way. Yeah, exactly. I had my freak out back in 2012 and I guess I'm just waiting for the next one. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully soon it's, it's reframing it. I really see it as opportunity. I think anyone who's hungry to create meaning in the world you are going to get bored more easily or more quickly, and you are going to want to evolve and change. So it doesn't have to mean that there's anything wrong with you. It's just how do you get the support you need to clear that fog and really move into that next direction? Yeah. So speaking of that, and as we're wrapping up here, what's your current pivot? You said you have a new book coming out and uh, you're you're working on not just individual coaching now, uh, but also with this new startup. Uh, is there anything else that you're doing besides those things? Yeah, basically. So the book, it's not coming out yet. It's not even written, but I'm working on pitching the book proposal. So that's an exciting stage that that's in. The Spring Ups is the new urban farming company that I'm director of operations for. I'm the co-founder of a meditation app called Lucent, which meditation was hugely helpful for me during my own pivot. And then yeah, keeping up with my coaching and speaking and just running the day-to-day operations of Life After College and JennyBlake.me. Yeah, so is I, I keep getting this question in my head. Uh, is, so is urban farming like like rooftop farming or <laughs> like it's a great gardens question. and stuff? Theirs is hydroponic farming in a shipping container. So hydroponic oh. means no dirt or sunlight is needed. It's just water and this proprietary technology and solution. So it's cool. It's the the first ones like it really in New York City. And uh, yeah, yeah I've heard about question. that in uh, L.A. Actually, I think oh, cool. that a few people were doing that. And like apparently it's like a, it's like a self-contained sort of not like perpetual motion, but almost sort of the same kind of concept where it just kind of runs itself. Yes. It's like a little exactly. it's like a little biosphere of its own. Exactly. And it's year round local produce. So it's free from drought, import, importing pesticides fertilizer it's just free from a lot of the kind of the ways you know not all produce gets kind of affected but it's very pure in that way so they can do that in normal shipping containers even with like the the harsh winters in new york or they like oh yeah especially heated ones year round no it doesn't it's not even affected by the winter at all so it's that's what's another benefit it's high quality produce that is very consistent year round that's really cool yeah, it's awesome. really exciting. I'm loving learning a whole new industry. It's such a cool opportunity. Yeah, it sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, there are probably a billion other questions I could ask you, um, but I know the answers are over at Life After College for the <laughs> most part. Um, so lifeaftercollege.com is... Dot org. Or dot org, that's right. Yeah. And I'll be sure to link to that. And you've also got your book, which... Uh, yeah. 
didn't, did you say you had to like go through 28 pitches to get that thing published? Yes, 27 said no and one said yes. That <laughs> so. is incredible perseverance, man. 27 said no. Yes. So did you ever like feel like this just isn't going anywhere? Or were you just like, you know, dog headed, I'm going to make this work no matter just, how many people have to pitch? I just had a deep trust in the process. I felt like, hey, if everyone ends up saying no, no problem. At least I know that I tried. And I, for some reason, I just wasn't going to get down on myself until every last no came in and that didn't happen. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't even that stressful once the no's were rolling in. The more stressful thing was the six months that I held myself back before even having the courage to want to pitch. And that's mm. kind of silly in hindsight. It's like, get over it. Sometimes we have such a fear of rejection that that's what holds us back more than the fact that rejection is going to sting sometimes in the moment, it doesn't even sting as bad as we anticipate. Yeah, exactly. And I know for me, like it's, uh, it's kind of a matter of like, Oh, I need to get a little bit better before I pitch this person, you know, I need to write write a couple more articles in their area. So they think I'm legit, but really it's, that's just kind of, you know, an excuse to hold myself back. So yeah, lifeaftercollege.org and and the book, both great resources for students. I highly recommend them. If people want to learn more about your work or get in contact with you, where should they go? They can also go to jennyblake.me, which is my new online home. And I'm on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Awesome. And I got to say, I I love the scroll thing on the homepage. (laughs) The whole site (laughs) is super creative, but it's just like... I just keep scrolling up and down on it right now because all the parallax effects are really cool. Well, thanks. Oh, good lingo there. It is. That's what it is. Parallax. I know a little bit of web web (laughs) development. (laughs) No big deal or anything. Well, thank you so much, Thomas, for reading all these years and for the great interview. And big thanks to everybody for listening. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure thing. All right. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right. Well, I hope you got a lot of great insights from that interview with Jenny. Uh, The one that I really liked, the one that really resonated with me is when she said not all jobs are going to be a perfect fit. And she says, you know, if you get a job out of college, that isn't exactly what you're expecting. Good. Take it. She wants people to learn that you don't have to be in the perfect job out of college. Uh, I, I I really like that smartphone app where you have to download the apps and gain the skills as you go along. And one thing that I've learned Uh, with it being over a year since I graduated, is life doesn't end at graduation. Progression doesn't end at graduation. And it's all a matter of keeping your goals in mind and, and just to keep progressing and learning new things and being willing to pivot and adapt. It doesn't stop when you walk across that stage and get your diploma and you don't just go into one job for the rest of your life. Uh, as you have you, as you saw from Jenny's story, she's gone from working at Google to writing a book to doing business coaching to now working with an urban farming startup, all very different things. And they all happened after college. So again, you can find Jenny online at JennyBlake.me or on Twitter where she is at Jenny underscore Blake. And one other thing, Jenny is hosting an online conference called Speak Like a Pro from August 25th to 29th, and it's free. So if you're interested in becoming a better speaker, this conference is going to have a lot of great content and a lot of uh, really, really good speakers who are going to help you out with uh, that. So if you're interested, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well, which again are at sigpodcast.com. Speaking of show notes, yeah, um, remember to click that link for episode 24 to get those specific show notes. And one last thing, guys, if you like the show, if you're getting 
uh, some value out of it. I would love it if you left a review for the show on iTunes. Reviews are incredibly important to help the podcast climb the ranks in iTunes and become visible to even more students who can learn some good stuff. So if you like the show and you want to see it continue, please leave a review. I'll love you forever. I might read your review on the show. Other than that, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.